We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey everyone, before we get into today's podcast, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, question and answers with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is that you can get all this for only $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup, much less what we're charging you for all of the above. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Baisley, catch me out. There you go. <laughs> nice. Harden spins into wow. Torque. Great defense by the rookie out of Arizona State. Another ferocious slam by Hamadou Diallo. What is up, Thunder fans, and welcome to the Uncontested Podcast, the official podcast of Boomtown Hoops and a proud part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. This is the second post-game podcast of the season as the Thunder lose an incredibly close game at the buzzer. Uh, they actually won their first game at the buzzer. They lose this one at the buzzer from the same guy, Shea Gilles Alexander, but it was absolutely not his fault. That is the guy we want to have the ball in his hands. I was so excited. I honestly thought that one was going to go in as well. Uh, we called Chris Paul, Clutch Paul last season. Uh, we'll see. But the way the season's already already shaping out in the short form, it, it definitely seems like we might be calling Shea, Clutch Shea. Uh, we will see. This is great learning experience. Nevertheless, the Thunder end up losing the game 110-109 to to the Utah Jazz. And I have a couple of notes just to start it off before I get into some, some themes for the, for the game. This, the Thunder's home opener for the season, obviously, was tonight against the Utah Jazz back in Chesapeake Arena. 
exactly 292 days since the game against the same team, the Utah Jazz, was canceled. Um, as you guys definitely remember, back March 11th, 2020, uh, and it kind of felt like you know the whole uh, shutdown across the nation. Like OKC was kind of the epicenter of that, right? Like that's kind of when we started taking COVID for real. We knew it was out there. We knew it was across seas. You know, we knew it had to come over into California. But it was that night against the Jazz when Rudy Gobert, who got overpaid, which I'll get into later, <laughs> tested positive for COVID. Um, and the game got postponed and then eventually canceled, led to the postponement of the season. You know, you guys know the rest, the bubble. Uh, here we are again for this next season without fans. All of that to say that that started 292 days from today, which seems absolutely crazy. And it's really kind of cool that the NBA set up the schedule like that, where the Thunder were able to tip off against the Jazz for for their home, home opener, not their season opener, but their home opener. Uh, and speaking of the game, like I mentioned earlier, the game was an absolute blast. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll get into this more in detail, but the young guys played an incredible game. Um, that starting five is a ton of fun. There's a lot to be excited about in the bench. The coaching I thought was fantastic, which I'll also get into. Um, and it was just a close competitive game, kind of like what we were used to this past season, except this time uh, the Thunder did not deliver in the clutch, or in this case, I guess, I, maybe they did in the clutch uh, at the very end of the game where they did last season. Uh, there was no game winner tonight, <laughs> but this was against a very great uh, Utah Jazz team who will absolutely get it going here, I, I believe, um, into into the season. It's kind of an extension of the preseason, except you're playing your guys in your, your actual rotation, regular season rotation, um, the minutes that you, you will be throughout the season. And I think that there's a lot of promising things you can take from this. Uh, and like I mentioned, it's just the perfect case scenario. You know, we kind of talked about this in our, our uncontested slack. Uh, that we have, our, our group messaging um, after the game. You know, the young guys played great. The team is super competitive, but the tank is alive. <laughs> you end up losing this game. Really is all around a perfect case scenario. The, the young guys are, are getting super competitive minutes against some of the one of the best teams uh, in the league, and you're still able to get that loss <laughs> to hopefully be able to get a high draft pick in the upcoming draft. Um, something else I wanted to mention the Thunder start out the game scorching hot. 5 of 5 from the field, 4 of 4 from 3. It was absolutely insane. And Lou got it going there early. He was a large part of that, him and Al Horford. And especially for Lou, that would continue throughout the uh, majority of the game, which, I again, I will get into here when we get into our themes. But it was a ton of fun to watch, and that started from the very beginning. Um, I actually made a joke uh, after, I, I think, the Jazz called a timeout after the Thunder hit their fourth three uh, early on the quarter. And I joked on our uncontested uncontested Twitter account that uh, Presley was actually making a call to Brooklyn right then and there, um, asking them what it, what it would take to trade George Hill to the Brooklyn Nets after, the um, obviously, the unfortunate uh, diagnosis of Spencer Dinwiddie's knee, the torn ACL. <laughs> um I think George Hill will fit in pretty well there, as we saw yet again tonight and uh, a couple days ago out in Charlotte. George Hill looks great. Um, so I made that joke just because, you know, it kind of looked like the Thunder were a little too good to tank. Uh, also, something else I noticed is that there's a rotation starting to form from Coach Daynault. You have Hami and Muscala in as the uh, first two subs, almost simultaneously these past two games. Then they eventually bring in the rest of the bench a couple minutes later. Uh, or they, as in Coach uh, Coach Dignall. 
But what was really interesting, and I, I know I keep saying this, but this is something else I wanted to dive into when we get into themes of this game, that actually changed in the second half, which I was really impressed by. Um, Coach Dagnall was hired to win basketball games, not to take. Uh, he was hired to do his job and develop young players, uh, to develop all players, and to manage a team. He's a manager. That's what a head coach does. And he seems to be doing a really good job of that so far. And um, I, I really noticed that here in the second half. So that's why I wanted to mention that. Mitchell scored his first points, Donovan Mitchell. He scored his first points of the game with five minutes to go in the half, which just talks, speaks volumes of how great both um, Lou Dort, the majority of that was on Lou Dort, uh, but also Kenny Hustle, Kenrich Williams, who we thought might get cut. Um, he did a great job on him in that second quarter. In fact, that entire second unit, I thought, played really well, even when the, for the Thunder, even when the Jazz brought in some of their starters or the majority of their starters again. Now, another note, there was no Justin Jackson. That's something that Kamara mentioned. I'm not sure if he mentioned it. I can't remember um, in his, his last posting podcast, but that's something he mentioned to us in our Slack again. You know, he, he mentioned Justin Jackson didn't see any minutes. Well, he didn't again tonight. It kind of seems like Justin Jackson is going to be out of the ro- out of the rotation, especially when you consider uh, that the Thunder seemed very high on Ty Jerome. All signs point to that. They just picked up his team option for this next coming season. Um, he was a, a you know a, a former I guess last year was a, a first round pick. Uh, they, they seem to be high on him, and as soon as he can get that ankle healthy, it seems like he'll be in the rotation. That's another guy in the rotation. It seems like Justin Jackson might be out. Uh, he obviously isn't performing very well, and, or I should say obviously. I, I I don't know this, but my assumption would be that he's not playing uh, very well in practices, etc. Um, and he doesn't seem to be in the rotation. My next note is that the Thunder were 10 of 22 from 3 at the half compared to the Jazz's 4 of 16 from 3, which is just pretty wild. Um, this Thunder team, at least from these first two games, very early, small sample size, seemed to be a very good 3-point shooting team. And then my last my last very vague note here before we dive into uh, some positive and the, positives and negatives. Um, I have that the second half was extremely competitive because it was. It was a lot of fun. It was kind of a, the second half was a game of runs. And ultimately, the Jazz came out on top because Donovan Mitchell uh, got it together. Uh, and Bogdanovich just was scorching hot from outside. But it was a super competitive half. And uh, I had a ton of fun there. Had a ton of fun covering this team tonight, and I'm really excited to dive into this game. And on top of it all, the losses don't hurt nearly as much as they did last year when we found out that it wasn't going to be a tanking season. Because this year, you know, we we are technically quote unquote tanking, or in Presley's terms, repositioning. But there's a lot to be excited about, and this isn't going to be the Sixers or the Knicks or the um, the Kings of the past where you just you know only win 13 games or 20 games or whatever it is. Um, this is going to be a team, and you're getting blown out the majority of those. I think this is going to be a little different. So let's go ahead and dive into the game. Some themes. Um, I'll have an ad read for you guys, and I really want to get to your guys' Twitter questions because you guys uh, provided quite a few after, like I said, a very exciting game. And you guys know me. Um, I don't even know if I said this at the beginning of the podcast. This is Taylor, uh, Taylor of the Uncontested. You know, we have a full group of us here. We, we split up these post games. So excited to be in a regular season game with you all, uh, covering a regular season game. And I like to break these down into negatives and positives. Um, and, and I always end on positives because why would you want to end on negatives? That's not fun. So let's start with the negatives. And my first here is Poku, but take this with a grain of salt because rookies shouldn't even really count. You know, we always talk about, you always hear, oh, you know, second year, uh, second year players, sophomore players in the NBA shouldn't count for most improved. Well, 
the rookies this season. Maybe he shouldn't count for negatives, but I do want to touch on this. So Poku, he's still going through the, the, the rookie struggles. Um, his shot is very short. I love that he still has that confidence, but you can see him getting, getting a little frustrated, especially after each miss. Uh, he definitely gets into his head. This is definitely a new game for him compared to where he came from, right? Uh, where, where he was previously playing in the Greece, essentially the B League. And you can tell that he's a little frustrated right now. He's not getting his own. And when he does, the, the shots are short. Um, now, there's already some strength. I mean, he's obviously able to at least hold his own, especially against wings. Um, not so much when he's playing the forward, but at least when he's playing the wing, there's some strength there, and especially on the defensive end, which I love. And another thing that I love, and this will actually be one of my positives as a spoiler alert, I loved how Dignall put him in with the starters in the second half. He was the first sub off the bench in the second half. He wanted Poku to, to not just be thrown in there with a full bench lineup. He wanted him in there with high caliber NBA guys like Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Al Horford, George Hill, Lou Dort, Darius Baisley. And, uh, and that seemed to help a little bit. But he still couldn't get it going, and in the end, he actually, uh, I think he got pulled um, however many minutes later in the second, or in the, sorry, in the third quarter, and he didn't see the floor again. So he is struggling, but you know what? That's great. I saw some people saying, eh, you know, Poke might need some G League time. No. Throw him in the fire. That's what this season is about. Um, I think there's definitely a lot there in Poku, and I think what we'll see in the coming years, I mean, he's still going to struggle next year. He might even struggle some the year after. We're going to see continued improvement. I think it's going to pay dividends having him out there playing against elite elite teams like the Utah Jazz, who I think will be potentially a top five a Western Conference team when this season's uh, all said and done. I think it's going to pay dividends having Poku out there this early in his career. So I love it. Keep it going. Uh, and we'll continue to, to, uh, to watch his, his progression. My next one is Shea's pick-and-roll defense. Um, early, especially early, really all the guards minus Lou Dort. <laughs> they really did struggle with that, and a lot of that has to do with great, great defense from Rudy Gobert. Or sorry, really great, not defense, a great um, pick set by Rudy Gobert. He's just really good at that. He's able to use his base to do that. And um, that's kind of something that maybe Poku could eventually model after. He's never going to be as big and strong, I think, as Gobert. But um, needless to say, I, Shea definitely struggled with that because one of the few players who had a really good half, I really wanted to, for the Utah Jazz was Mike Conley, who Shea was primarily guarding, and then you had Bogdanovich. Um, both of them really kept the Jazz in the game in that first half for Utah. So um, that was just something I mentioned. I, I think Shea did a lot better there in the second half, but he continues to need to take steps on the defensive end of the ball. Um, another rookie here for my next negative. Again, I know that's kind of a, a cheap, um, a cheap negative to throw in all my negatives, but I do want to mention Teo. His first half, a lot of rookie mistakes, a lot of turnovers, um, occasionally some, some, some bad decisions. Um, and, and other times he just kind of looked a little flustered, maybe a little lost, but I will say, again, Dignall, I have been loving his rotations, if you guys haven't noticed yet. Um, his second half was much better when he was playing along another ball handler with Shea, where the primary ball handling responsibilities were off Teo's shoulders, and he was able to just kind of play his game. He was really able to flash that high IQ. Um, and I think the one that, that comes to mind to me was when in the third, to actually to right before the end of the third quarter, he goes in, he's able to, I, I believe he deflected the ball to begin with, but he's able to get on the floor. Um, he's able to strip away a, a what would potentially be a jump ball. Somehow he gets away with it as he dives on the floor, makes a great hustle play. 
And then it, he's laying on the floor and makes some incredible like one-handed bounce pass to Shea. And Shea's able to push the ball in transition, kick it out to uh, Hami on the wing, who's able to take the, take it in for a, I think it was a dunk. Uh, like I said, to basically to end the third quarter, I think there's one more possession for the Jazz. But just high IQ plays like that from Teo that just make you say, wow, like this might have been a steal that late in the draft. So that was really exciting. Um, but Teo does still absolutely, the reason I have him here as a negative is because he does have some uh, quite a few rookie mistakes and he is still struggling um, as a sole ball handler but again you also look at the the guys he's playing with in that unit and it makes sense he's playing much better when Dignall in the second half you know this is the first time we've, we've seen this this season in this very small sample size played him with some of these other starters now my last negative and honestly it's probably the biggest negative and for you longtime listeners you guys know here a couple seasons ago not so much last season but two seasons ago uh, Hami's rookie year I was very excited about Hami I just loved his athleticism I love that he was just able to come in and make things happen that's exactly what those teams needed that those Thunder teams needed and I was a big fan of Hami but last season I started to kind of see you know with with higher IQ team and where he didn't quite fit quite as well I, I started to get off homie a little bit um and then this season i just am basically completely off the homie train and don't get me wrong he makes things happen and when he, when dignal uh, played him with some of the starters in that second half like i mentioned they didn't go to a a full bench um a full bench lineup in the second half homie did play better but he's just a ball stopper i mean he looks for his own his own shot way too often when he is in with the second unit and specifically like i said and i think the biggest issue there is he thinks he is the man of the second unit you know i've been in the league you know so my third season i know i know what i'm doing i'm the guy here this is my turn to, to handle the ball and put up my shots but it isn't you know he needs to be um kicking out two shooters and, and and swinging the ball when he's penetrating and he just isn't doing that particularly when he's in like i mentioned with that bench unit and that's taken away from guys like Teo and Poku, um, who could be having the ball, or, or even Hami could be creating for those two with his incredibly athletic and quick drives. He'd be, you know, kicking out to those guys, but he doesn't do that. He's kind of looks for his own. Now, like I said, uh, well, one is good for tanking. I don't think I said that earlier. It's good for tanking to have Hami bring the ball up and, and shoot his shots, and you know that's going to be the difference in the, one of the differences in, in games, close games like tonight. However, um, and, oh, and also he played much better, like I said, when those starters came in and, and Dignall kind of mixed the rotations up a little bit. But still, uh, I I just, I don't love it. <laughs> because of all the reasons, you know, I, I talked about earlier, I have to have Hami here as a negative. And uh, I think I'm going to have to switch my love and affection. Uh, obviously, we all love Lou. We all love Baisley. We all love Shea. You know, Tao might be my guy right now since Frank Jackson got cut. <laughs> Now, I mentioned a Dignall switching up the rotation. I actually did that. I mentioned that a couple times in my positives. Or sorry, my negatives. So let's go ahead and switch over to my positives. And my first one that I have here is Mark Dignall's coaching and rotations. <laughs> now, again, keep all this in mind. We're, we're basing all this off small sample sizes. But I thought the rotations were fantastic, um, specifically in the second half, because the first half is pretty much identical to that first game against Charlotte. But in a very competitive game against a, like I said, a really good team. And now granted, you know, take all this with a grain of salt because this is early in the season with a shortened offseason, a shortened training camp. So I do realize that teams like the Jazz and the Nuggets and who else, um, the Bucks, uh, the, there's some other teams 
elite teams that we think will be pretty good. I think they're still trying to find their footing, um, and, and I think they'll be much better when we play them later on down the road. But even then, with the elite talent that they have on the floor just to begin with, whether it's you know early season or not, um, it was a competitive game. And so we're, you know, I, I think the Jazz came out in the second half swing to start the third quarter. Uh, this is off the top of my head. I believe it was a 9-0 run. Dagnall calls a timeout. And now if, if if Presti is truly, like, you know, buzzing in, buzzing in like a headset, like in the NFL, you know, he goes, you know, Dagnall could have gone ahead and just cleared the bench and, and, and brought in the, the second unit there when there was like eight minutes left or what was it? Yeah, like maybe even six minutes left in the third quarter. But he didn't do that. Um, he played Shea with Hami and Teo uh, alongside uh, Mascala and I think Kendrick Williams or somebody else. And then he brought back in Baisley at the four and just continued to, to bring some of those stars back in. He brought Horford back in with some of those bench players. And it worked really, really well. That bench unit did in the second half did really well combined with that those some of those starters. And like I mentioned, you know, at the end of the third quarter, the Thunder actually up by a two or three because of that that play that I mentioned where Teo gets the loose ball and and Shea kicks the homie. Um, there was just a lot of it, 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 it basically it kept him in the game, right? And so you see Dagnall coaching not for tanking, <laughs> as some uh, fans may think that Presley may want him to or whatever. No, tanking comes from the front office. That doesn't come, you know, it, what, what Presley's done is tanking. Tanking doesn't happen on the floor. It doesn't happen in practice. It doesn't happen with the coaching staff. And I think that's what we're seeing. Um, and just one other quick point I want to make, because I know I'm, I'm starting to go a little long here, because I do want to get to your guys' questions. Um, I really love Dagnall's philosophies. I think that he's installing on both ends of the floor. And what I mean by that is you see the, the incredible ball movement um, on the offensive side that leads to a lot of these open threes with a bunch of high IQ players that Presti has has brought to to help for you know to, to play alongside some of these young guys. And and then the the defensive um, responsibility and the the effort on the defensive end, the rotations on the defensive end, very sound, very crisp. Um, and I'm really excited about it. I, I I think a lot of that comes from Dagnall because it's not just you don't just see that with the starters. You see that all the way down to the bench unit. We have a full bench of you know Teo, Poku, um Williams, uh, Muscala, etc. They're playing the same exact way, and I think that's really important. Something to 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 point out, and, and something we need to look forward moving, uh, look at moving forward, because I think that comes from Dignall. So that is a definitely a positive of mine. Um, so far, so good for Mark Dignall. Now the Thunder big man. I mentioned Muscala. I mentioned um, Al Horford. Maybe the best three point shooters on the entire roster which seems absolutely crazy to to say and i know lou had a great game tonight but as we know lou can be a little up and down uh, and i'll get into lou don't worry but uh we have al horford three of seven from three tonight but it was better earlier in the game the fourth quarter that but still i mean that's that's pretty impressive and al horford was a big reason for that that spark early on from the three-point line Actually, it's kind of funny. Mike Muscala was 3 of 7 from the three-point line as well. 3 of 9 overall, 9 points for Muscala, 11 for Horford. But the Thunder big man, I mean, we, we've had, we went from um, Kendrick Perkins, essentially, to a longtime Stephen Adams, Nerlens Noel's backup. Uh, Muskie kind of came in and played some center last year here and there. But now we have Horford and then Muscala as the backup center. And they're stretch centers. They're true stretch centers. And it's such a different way to play the game than we're used to. But I've loved it. 
And uh, I, I think it's really good for this team, great for their style of play, great for the way that Dignall wants this team to play. And so that was something that I wanted to mention, the Thunder Stretch Big Men. And uh, I believe, instead of the Splash Bros, somebody tweeted at me. You guys will have to go back. If I can find it, I'll retweet it on the account and let you guys know. But uh, call them the uh, the Splash Dads instead of the Splash, the Splash Bros because uh, both of them are a little older, um, especially Horford. So I thought that was pretty funny. But obviously, both are playing great. Um, again, maybe some, some walking first-round picks. Now, my next one is a guy who actually had in my negatives, but I have Tail. And like I mentioned, he has some incredibly high IQ plays. He made his rookie mistakes. He played much better when he isn't the sole point guard. But I love I loved his shot. It's just a pure shot. I talked about his high IQ and some of the plays he's able to make on both ends of the ball. I think he's going to be a ton of fun and will, and will develop quickly. Um, I won't touch much more on him because I mentioned him in my negatives and kind of flip that into a positive. But I wanted to at least mention him briefly here in my positives. Now, another point guard I have here. He is one of our starting guards, I should say, because him and Shea kind of start alongside together. But George Hill, um, he actually kind of struggled a little bit in the first half from a scoring perspective, but just what he's able to bring on the floor is just pretty impressive. He ends the night with 14 points, five rebounds, four assists, another very impressive night. And I believe, again, this is off the top of my head, I don't want to dig through my screenshots or my notes to find this, but I believe 11 of those came in the third quarter. <laughs> he's, he's really good. He's still really good. He's much better than I expected him to be, and he looks great. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, he's literally a walking first-round draft pick if he continues to play this way and stays healthy. And more importantly, he's just a great professional for the OKC young guys to continue to learn from and play off of, kind of like how Chris Paul was last season. Um, now you have Horford and you have Hill. And I think what I love the most about all this is, and maybe this is its own positive, but I love how Presley isn't just feeding his young guys to the wolves. He's not just throwing them out there like that. Like I mentioned, you know, uh, you have like the the process process Sixers. Um, this is different. You know, he, he's making sure to continue to bring high IQ guys, high character guys into the locker room um, that can complement the team and still keep them competitive and and continue to uh, progress the growth of some of these young guys like Shea, Lou, um, Baisley at the top of the list, and then some of these younger guys that we mentioned like Teo and Poku and Ty Jerome and whoever else. So I think that's really impressive and something to uh, something to know for Presti. Now Lou Dort, just, I mean... I wanted to end with Lou for my positives to see it was just another special night. As many mentioned, it was a Game 7 uh, of last season in the bubble. It was a Game 7 bubble night for Lou Dort. 26 points, 9 of 11 from the field, 5 of 7 from 3, 3 of 4 from the, from the free throw line. He just was feeling it, and I think even with that incredibly special, uh, special offensive stat line, I think his defense was even more more special. Um, I actually have some quotes from our own Crane NBA who was on the Zoom media call tonight um, of guys talking about Horford, or sorry, talking about Dort's defense. I'm reading, uh, getting ahead of myself here. But Horford says that both Lou Dort and Marcus Smart really have the ability to get to the ball and be disciplined. He says people don't realize how smart guys, how smart those guys that defend at this level are. And he quotes, uh, Nick quotes Horford, there's definitely a lot of similarities defensively between those two. Pretty high praise. And then uh, a direct quote from Al Horford again. I haven't really seen many guys who can guard at that level. Can, uh, pertaining to Lou Dort. And then you have Don Mitchell. First off, got to give him credit, man. He's a hell of a defender. And he would go on to say that's like hitting a brick wall every single time. Um, I like to use my physicality, and so does he, he being Lou Dort. 
So some pretty high praise. I believe George Hills had some some high praise as well for Lou, and uh, just an incredible game all around. And that's what I'm really looking forward to this season is watching guys like Lou, Shea, Baisley continue to grow because they they already seem like an oh sorry I actually skipped over a bullet point which is Shea. <laughs> I mean Shea just really quickly um, played an incredible game as well. He ended up with 23 points. You know I I kind of compare him to the the guard version of Kevin Durant. Not in the way that the play at all, but in the sense that like you look up at the scoreboard and Shea is only three points away from Lou. Like you look at Lou and you're like, yeah, 26 points. That seems about right after that game. You look at Shea and you're thinking, yeah, probably like 18, 20. And you know, next thing you know, Shea is only three points away from Lou Dort for the the highest score on the team. And that's he's just kind of like the silent assassin and just his confidence. Um, his his IQs is something I mention a lot in this podcast. Shea's a high IQ guy. Um, his shiftiness, all the things that we've talked about in the past, Shea had on full display tonight, and he's really taking his game to a whole new level. 23 points, 3 rebounds, 7 assists, 9-21 from the field. He was only 1 of 7 from 3. That's something he can continue to improve on. But, man, he, uh, he was special. He made some incredible plays. I think Jacob mentioned there in the fourth quarter, there's a play where Horford comes up, sets a pick for him. Shea tries to go ISO. He doesn't really have anything, and somehow he's able to do like a wraparound pass around the defender into like a perfect bounce pass back to Horford for the pick and pop outside the three-point line. Horford misses the shot, but there's not very many people who can make that kind of play. And even that game winner that he missed, I mean, it was still a great look. And my favorite part was that, you know, he, he didn't necessarily come like calling for the ball or like it wasn't necessarily um, – evident that I think Dagnall like called the play for Shea but the ball like Horford went right back to Shea and they wanted him to go ISO with about 3.5 seconds left that's exactly what he did he got the look he wanted it just didn't fall and to be quite honest with you I think Gobert might have fouled him before the play but it was probably a good no call all that to say I just continue to be impressed with Shea Lou even Baisley I haven't really mentioned him a lot but just a lot of fun and exciting stuff uh to be excited about so all that to say, uh, there's a lot to talk about in tonight's podcast. We're going a little long here, but I want to uh, dive into an ad read, and then we will get into your guys' Twitter questions. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. And Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. And unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria and you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore's total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. The offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. All right. So 
I asked for Twitter questions and you guys delivered. Of course, I went a little long here, but I'm going to try and get to as many of these as possible. Um, Manu's 2010 said, outside the 10 players that got to see the court tonight, bearing injury, who will be the next cab off the rank to see minutes? Uh, and Manu's, I think Ty Jerome is going to be your guy. Once he gets healthy, I think we'll see him come in. I don't necessarily see him like taking a full player um, off the rotation, but I think we will see guys like Hami, who's bringing the ball up, I, I don't see that quite as much when Ty comes back. Um, you'll probably see even Maladon, Maladon's minutes. Um, not cut back a lot because you want him out on the floor, but um, you might not see like Shea minutes with Maladon quite as much. Ty Jerome's probably going to be a situational player. Games like Charlotte, you're going to see him in there um, with that full bench lineup. And so that's kind of my guide there. Um, Manu's also actually asked another question about Poku, which I think is really good. What does Poku need to do? and work on to show an improvement in the next few games. Now, I think the next few games is way too soon. You're looking a little too short-sighted. What we really want to look at is throughout this entire season um, and, and into the spring, right? Um, where, you know, we won't have playoffs, obviously, unless you know, Preston decides not to tank with this team and doesn't trade away Hill and Horford and whatever else happens across the league. But I think what we want to see with Poku is for him to continue to, continue to gain strength, continue to gain confidence, um, just get more comfortable on the floor from a defensive and offensive perspective in the NBA and uh, and get a little more confident, a, little bit, a lot more reps in with that shot, which looks very flat right now. And he's find a little more arch, a higher release point. I think that's going to help him tremendously when it comes to his shot. Um, Stan SGA at Hunter Harjo 7. Uh, he has thoughts on Cage comparing Lou to a fire hydrant. <laughs> when he's playing defense, and he's in the right position, and you're a player like Donovan Mitchell driving into that Lou Dort, yeah, that, that's probably a good comparison. It probably feels like driving into a fire hydrant. If you guys are like me and you played some uh, some backyard football or, I guess in our case, foot, front yard football or like side lot football with the neighborhood kids, there's some fire hydrants there, and there's some electrical boxes, and occasionally you run into them, and it does not feel good. I imagine that is what it's like running into Lou Dort on defense, or sorry, on offense when he's playing defense. CFC Ryan asks, thoughts on Kenrich Williams? I thought he had a present decent uh, appearance, and I agree with Ryan there. I think he he's played two really solid games. Like I mentioned in the in the second quarter specifically, he continued to kind of shut uh, Donovan Mitchell down. I know a lot of that is probably due to frustrations from Dort playing defense against him, but I thought Kenrich did a great job, and he just makes things happen on the offensive end. Um, he's able to cut and, and, and continue to move the ball. He's able to make shots when it comes to him. He had a really difficult shot that he made through contact, I think, in the second quarter. So he's a guy that I do like, and uh, he has surprised me, and I, I do see why they want to keep him around. He fits this team well, especially in that second unit. So I'm with you, Ryan. I, I do like him. I'm very intrigued to see uh, uh, him continue to progress. I know he was thought pretty highly of across the league after his his season last year with the Pelicans. The Duck Lord, the Duck Lord asked me, what do you see our core three guys averaging for the season after seeing these first two games? That's pretty tough. I don't have a lot of time here, so I won't dive into specifics. I think I already mentioned Shea's uh, stat line, my, my prediction in our NBA season bets um, preview, so you guys can go back and listen to that. I think he's going to be... Um, pretty pretty high I, I think i said like 24 points and like maybe five assists and like six i don't know you guys will have to go back and listen to that for lou i think he's going to have these up and down games i don't think he's consistently going to score like 12 points uh, per game for example 
I think he's going to have games where he's, he scores like four points, but then he's going to have a game three games later where he scores 30, like he almost did tonight. And so because of that, I can see him averaging like 12 points. I think the biggest thing for Dort is going to be on the defensive end. Um, and so I, I, I see him high, averaging pretty high points, uh, maybe like 12 per game, which seems low compared to what he's, you know, is capable of doing on a night to night basis. Because like I said, I think it's going to be inconsistent. I don't see him doing a lot on the uh, in terms of rebounds and assists. So uh, I, I think that the points, the three-point shooting, specifically driving to the rim, drawing fouls and, and free throws, and then the defensive end is what to be looking for with Dort. In terms of Baisley, we talked about this previously on the pod as well. Um, I can see him averaging a double-double. It's going to be barely a double-double if he does it, but maybe like... 11 points and like 10 rebounds, something like that, which I think would be fantastic. Um, even Baisley with a quiet night tonight uh, on the stat sheet, I thought he made a stat sheet. I thought he made a lot of good things happen, and uh, I was impressed by Baisley and continued to be with his confidence. Um, let's see. This was a similar question by McCall Dale, so I'll go ahead and skip it, but thank you for the question. Just OKC Chatter, George Chance of winning Defensive Player of the Year this year. You know, I actually kind of had this thought in my head. If he continues to do this against the elites, you know, Donovan Mitchell, James Harden, he's guarding the best player every single night for this OKC Thunder team. Um, you know, he absolutely deserves to be in the conversation. I think the issue is, right, is that this team, assuming they trade away Horford, assuming they trade, trade away Hill, they do truly start the full-on tank. Um, he might not get the recognition because of that. But all that to say, if he continues to defend this level against the best player every single night, I think he absolutely has to be in that conversation. And then Thunder Talk UK, are we overreacting or could Lou Dort average 14 to 15 points per game this season? And if you had $100 to bet with, how much of it would you place on him to win most improved player? I think that's fair because like I said, it really just depends on the consistency. If he's able to still score six to eight points on his inconsistent nights, or sorry, on his low scoring nights, and he has more um, more 20 plus games than, than we're expecting, especially once you trade away Horford and Hill, I think it's a fair assumption to say that he could average 14 to 15 points per game. I think it'll ultimately be a little lower than that, but absolutely is going to, that 12 to 15 range, I think is pretty spot on. Um, But I I, I can't say he's going to win most improved player of the year. Like Christian Wood, for example, very small sample size, but a guy like that playing on a Rockets team, getting much more national publicity, it's going to be a guy like that. Um, But but Dort should be in the conversation, and honestly, he might be come into the season if these guys continue to improve and play well. And the last one I have here, OKC fan from Japan. That's pretty awesome. What do you think about Justin Jackson? If he's not going to play, shouldn't we trade him for an asset or like a second rounder? So that's a good point. But if he's not playing here and he just kind of played off and on in Dallas, he seems to be inconsistent. You're probably not going to get a ton from him. Um, I could see him being more of like a throw-in trade when it comes to um, trading where like George Hill or, you know, Al Horford, if they're able to trade him, something like that. Um We'll probably see more Justin Jackson minutes off and on as the season progresses, but obviously they aren't super uh, excited about him <laughs> or see him as a long-term piece because he has not played in the first two regular season games. Um, so I think that was a, a good question, and, and we'll just have to kind of see um, as trades progress. Um, so that's all I'm going to go ahead and answer today because I know I've gone pretty long for a post-game. But there's a lot to talk about in this game. It was a lot of fun. This team is still a lot of fun, and... You know, even in a tanking season, I think even when we trade away the George Hills and the Al Horfords, um, these young guys in SGA, led by SGA, Baisley, and Dort, and then the up-and-coming guys that we just drafted and just brought on the team, 
there's still going to be a lot to look for, a lot to root for. It's still going to be a fun, fun and exciting season. And us here at The Uncontested will have you all covered um, for all of it. So be sure to continue to to tune in, continue to follow along on Twitter. Be sure to follow our YouTube page. We're trying to get much more active there. Spread the word. Uh, leave us a five-star rating. Whatever you can do to help us, uh, we greatly appreciate it because we're having a blast with this and just want to make this grow into whatever it can be. Um, so thank you guys again. Stay tuned. We'll have you guys covered tomorrow night as the Thunder, I believe, take on the Orlando Magic. Again, off the top of my head. Um, but they will be playing tomorrow night on a back-to-back, -back, also in OKC. So stay tuned. We'll have you guys covered here at the Uncontested. And thank you guys again for tuning in. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.